You've heard the headlines. Get some perspective now with Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Good morning and a happy Thursday to you. We're going to go ahead and jump right into the show. The Q&A part of the impeachment trial was yesterday. There are a couple good questions in there. The lead. Yeah, so the second part of the Q&A is going to take place today. It's another uh, eight hours of questioning where... Chief Justice John Roberts reads the questions and is directing traffic, if you will, in the U.S. Senate. Now, after those questions are asked today, there will be a critical vote on whether or not witnesses will be allowed in the trial. Now, what happens with that vote is still anyone's guess. It it does seem to be a bit of a moving target. That might be a nice way to put it. But yesterday began at least, again, I would call it in the mind-numbingly boring uh, presentation of the impeachment trial, at least it got a little bit interesting where it wasn't just about reading your talking points, that uh, some of the attorneys, although they may have known some of the questions ahead of time, it appears, were forced to... Answer questions. Yeah, but when you say answer questions, I I listened, shockingly enough, to a a decent portion of it. Mm -hmm. And what it appeared to me was Republicans were asking the White House counsel questions that allowed them to reaffirm their viewpoint. And Democrats were asking the House managers questions that allowed them to reaffirm their viewpoint. I I use this as a example. You would ask of your own party, on a scale of 10 to 10, how pretty are are you? Right, exactly. And, and so there wasn't much to get out of the questions that were asked. But so, there were a few examples. Th- there were a few small examples yeah, that I think are worth diving into a little bit. The first one that I think was quite telling mm-hmm. was one that came from Republican senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. I'm going to play it for you. What you're going to hear is Judge Roberts asking their question, and then you're going to hear the White House counsel respond. And and again, remember, they they had to submit their questions in writing. So he's reading their question for them. And why this is also important is there's going to be a vote on whether or not witnesses will be allowed in the Senate. And there's a lot of interest on the Democratic side and appears to be a little bit on the Republican side to have witnesses because John Bolton apparently has some information that nobody has heard of before. So Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are two of the Republicans we believe may vote for witnesses. So what does their question Tell us. Take a listen. Before Vice President Biden formally entered the 2020 presidential race in April 2019, did President Trump ever mention Joe or Hunter Biden in connection with corruption in Ukraine to former Ukrainian President Poroshenko or other Ukrainian officials, President Trump's cabinet members or top aides or others? If so, what did the president say to whom and when? I think it's important at the outset to frame the answer by bearing in mind I'm limited to what's in the record and what's in the record is determined by what the House of Representatives sought. It was their uh, proceeding. They were the ones who ran it. They were the ones who called the witnesses. So part of the question refers to conversations between President Trump and other cabinet members and others like that. There's not something in the record on that. It wasn't thoroughly pursued in the record. So I can't point to something in the record that shows President Trump 
at an earlier time mentioning specifically something related to Joe or Hunter Biden. There we go. Right there. He could not specifically point to a time when Trump said anything to cabinet officials or the Ukrainian government before Biden entered the race. Now, he also referred to the record in that answer three times. I'm not an attorney. I just play one on the radio every once in a while. And it's my understanding that they are establishing the record right now. This is a trial. You are establishing the record. You refer back to the record in appeals. So he's talking, he's doing kind of a sleight of hand going, well, I have to refer to the record. You can't refer to something that hasn't been created if yet. If this was a, re, re, a real trial, like the one you think of you know, watching court TV. Like a real trial? The judge would be banging his gavel and admonishing the attorneys on a regular judge basis. Judge Ro- John Roberts, the, the chief justice, would not allow that. In the U.S. Supreme Court. But that's what we're witnessing right now. We cannot have what they've established. Again, you've got two Senate Senate Republicans that asked the question, which also tells me that these two that are on the fence, so to speak, are still in the fact finding mission. They haven't. They actually asked a really good question. And to one that the White House counsel didn't have an answer to, meaning that Trump was never really interested in corruption with Ukraine but in getting something to use against Biden. Duh, as has every piece of sworn testimony so far attested to. So what happens? No one has testified to the opposite. So what happens next? Here's what's happening today. Senators have another eight hours of questioning before they finally get to that vote on witnesses tomorrow. But this morning, Republican leader Mitch McConnell believes he has enough votes to block additional witnesses. And top Republicans we've talked to are hopeful that they could move to acquit the president in the next two days. Yeah, there could be an acquittal of the president of the United States tomorrow night. Let that sink could, in a could second. Be, could be tomorrow. Yeah. Let that sink in a second. So here's where we are right now. They're going to get through the questioning today. And then it comes to witnesses. And this is where I think the fireworks are really going to explode tomorrow. Let's play a couple hypotheticals out. One, Mm -hmm. we know that there are 47 senators in that are Democrats in the Senate that we believe would vote for witnesses. So that means that they would need to get four from Republicans in order to get a simple majority to allow witnesses to be heard. Mitt Romney has come out and said that he would vote for witnesses. And Susan Collins has really shown that she's looking to go that way as well. Lisa Murkowski seems to be leaning that way. That would give us a 50-50. Now, there are a few others that, uh, like Alexander out of Tennessee, that that might go that route, or Roberts. But if it's a 50-50. All right, what happens at a, a tie? Because in the normal Senate, the vice president breaks a tie. They don't have tie votes. And the vice president is not voting in this trial, so to speak. It's not exactly clear. You know, I've listened to experts on both sides of this issue. One has said that Chief Justice Roberts will not vote to break the tie. Is it his choice? That's kind of what I'm getting at. So like, let, let's that's say they vote, you know, you know, they have a little it. computer, they press their buttons, and it comes up 50-50. And then everybody looks at Chief Justice Roberts and he goes, yeah, I'm out. Th- I don't know. That's a, I, I, that's it's a, a great question. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. There's precedent that apparently allows him to vote. He could vote. Will he choose 
not to. He's not required to vote. But if he doesn't vote and it's a 50-50 tie on anything, the motion does not move forward. It does not pass. A tie is the same as losing, right? Correct, unless there is a tiebreaker. Oh, for God's sake. What, we flip a coin? No, that would be Justice Roberts. (laughs) Right, right. And do you do you want the chief justice to be casting this vote? I, I mean, and again, it, not the vote to it's witnesses impeach, right. a vote to move the process. And, and the weeks leading if not up, not him. To, who th- there's. There's been a lot of conversation in the weeks leading up to this very moment right now. Both Republicans and Democrats have been pretty confident that Roberts would not break a tile, a tie on on this. Um, but we're, we've got that new information with Bolton that came out this week. We have the White House that has now issued a formal threat against John Bolton to keep him from publishing that book. Here's what I would just offer you, Bruce, because I don't want to get too in the weeds with all of this. Here's what I would offer you. 24 hours from now, there is a real possibility that we are going to be at the, the brink of the Senate voting on witnesses. Yes. What the heck's going to happen in the next 24 hours? Hmm. Because you better believe that, like, Democrats, if, if they've got anything. Smoking guns or what? Uh, it's going to drop October within the next surprise, hours. Right? It, What's it your January to. surprise? And then you've got Republicans that are going to be doing everything they can to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the next 24 hours in this country are going to be fascinating. No argument. But and again today, and I say that with, with the backdrop of everything we've talked about over the last three years. Just think about all we've talked about. Well, These next the twenty four hours have imagined. are going to be just fascinating. Eleven o'clock Phoenix time. The second round of questioning, final round of questioning, begins. An eight hour session, if you will, of uh, senators being able to pass notes to the chief justice, who Which then reads their, their questions out loud. Yeah, uh, it, there's a whole thing, too, if, you, if we get into the, that Rand Paul, uh, his questions keep getting thrown out because he's breaking the rules. Because Rand Paul's questions apparently contain the name of the whistleblower and Chief Justice Roberts keeps crumpling them up and throwing them back. I'm, in, I'm exaggerating. Mean, the point. That's what you just would like him to do. Yeah. Who should pay? For education funding in Arizona, and how should we go about it? There are competing initiatives. We've been talking about them, and there is a debate internally. Uh, heck, there's a couple of debates. We're going to talk about education funding. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. We've been discussing all this week um, a proposal from State Senator Kate Brophy McGee, who will be joining us at 11 o'clock this morning. To discuss a proposed ballot initiative that would increase part of a state sales tax to, quote, fund education in Arizona. Yeah, a penny for education is what it would be called. And it's going up against the Invest in Ed initiative that's trying to get signatures right now. That's the tax the wealthy. So you've got one initiative that would tax everybody. And then you've got one initiative that would tax the rich. And it's quite possible both will be on the ballot. Now, I would be one that would vote more towards taxing everybody. And when I say taxing, it's raising the sales tax. Right now, uh, we, we passed Prop 301. 
gallon back in, I think it was 2001. And that allowed for a six-tenth of a cent sales increase, sales tax mm-hmm. increase. What this would do would raise that to one full cent, so increase it four-tenths of a cent, and make it permanent. Because we, the, the voters, would be voting on it, therefore the state legislator couldn't change it. And we've got some questions about that for yeah. State Senator Brophy McGee, and so we're going to be asking her that at 11 o'clock here today. But um, it, it's interesting that we're at this point now where we've got these two potential competing initiatives that voters are going to have the opportunity to to take action on. And Stan Barnes, who is a Republican political um, consultant, has, has talked about this. It's been around the state legislature for years. And here's what he has to say about the specific bill, a penny sales tax. Take a listen. I do not think it's going to move forward to the finish line this year. And the main reason is the governor has, I believe, satisfied the politic of funding education with the 20% teacher pay raise. I disagree. Governor Ducey is on record as saying the state has enough money to take care of its education needs. By the way, you're welcome. What what Stan Barnes is saying there is very well that the, the governor has fulfilled the politics of funding education. But I would venture to say that there are a lot of people out there that says he hasn't funded what the people think he needs. And that is why taking it out of the legislature and putting it to a vote to the people could have a vastly different result. But there is I'm going to get to the fundamental argument of that. Is it the job of ballot initiative to earmark money for things that the state of Arizona should be funding? Should there be a ballot initiative as to how much money we want to spend on prisons? Should there be a ballot initiative to how much money we want to spend on police and fire? You you see what I'm saying? I'm just going, that is the job of the state legislature. And if they're not doing their job, hold them accountable. Well, but they're not doing their job. And so we in the state of Arizona have decided that we want to have the power to go around them. But you say not doing their job. As Governor Ducey said, they think they've done their job. Sure, and that's where the politics of it and come into play. And if you don't think so, you could vote them out. Yeah, or you could put a. We've decided you could put a ballot initiative out there. I think it's a bad precedent. To, to, we're gonna we're gonna uh, absolve the state lawmakers of actually being on record, voting, and taking a stand on funding things as as basic as education. You you look at it as absolving them. Um, I think that. We have tried for years to to hold them accountable, but because that hasn't worked, you have to find a different mechanism. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I would argue voting for the same state lawmakers over and over again and expecting them to spend more money on education is silly. Agreed. And and you and I are, are not differing on that opinion. But they keep winning. And and then you have this kind of, of mechanism that may find itself onto the ballot. Now, it's not a foregone conclusion that invest in ed or a penny for or, education yeah. are going to make their way onto the ballot. There's still a process for both both of these these initiatives. I mean, signatures and uh, for for the invest in ed, they've got to get the signatures validated and so on and so forth. With the Kate Brophy McGee bill uh, or, or, or proposition, um, they have to go through the legislative branch and. and 
get mm-hmm. uh, support, and I don't know how much support she has mm-hmm. with this. So it's it a question pass out of the committee, committee so to speak, right? yesterday. Yeah. So we are going to be listening to her, or talking to her rather at eleven o'clock. Yeah. We invite you to listen because these are important issues impacting our state. Education is always that hot button issue that everybody talks about, and so there seems to be some movement on it. You're not going to want to miss that at eleven o'clock. What are we doing in our own backyard to prevent? the spread of the coronavirus and what are other countries doing and dare i say some pretty extreme measures going on around the world we'll give you the latest on the coronavirus and its spread coming up next on arizona's news station arizona's news station ktar news on 92.3 fm Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. The local and global concern over the corona, the novel coronavirus, I guess we're being technically correct, uh, continues to grow as uh, more people are coming down with symptoms. I don't believe we have any new confirmed cases in the United States. We do have the one here in Tempe. But you you do have some interesting developments going on around the world, including... In Italia. Oh, okay. You want to start there? Let's start there. Where there is a cruise ship of over 6,000. This is, by the way, another reason I never want to get on a cruise ship. Over 6,000 people. Yeah. I love cruises. Where apparently a Chinese couple has come down with what? Symptoms. Symptoms on the boat. They're on the boat. They got some symptoms, and, and so guess it's what? shutting things down. The Costa Smeralda vessel is at sea just off the port of Civitavecchia, 35 yeah. miles north of Rome. The decision to keep the people on board was made after a 54-year-old woman from Macau, China, came down with a fever. She and her husband, who does not have symptoms, are in solitary confinement and have been tested for the virus. Test results are due back this afternoon, with other passengers barred from leaving the ship until they come back. Civitavecchia. So 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 they've got the, the boat. It's not at the dock because I think they're worried people might jump over the bleep inside or shimmy down a rope. Um, but it's just off there. And, it, and they can't come to dock because they're worried if, uh, if there's coronavirus on board, other people might be infected. But here's the thing I don't understand, Pamela. Hmm. So let's do the for instance on this boat alone. There are there's one person who, who let's say they do. She tests positive for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. What's the incubation period or how long would you know if you've been exposed to that you have it? I, you know, is I've it been two re- to three weeks. It's three days to two weeks from what I understand. That's a big difference. It is. So do, are these people locked on the boat for two weeks until nobody has no, a symptom? I mean, I don't think we're even quarantining the people who have been the Americans that have been taken out. Of oh, you're Wuhan right. The ones that landed yesterday, right? we're, we're not holding them for, for two weeks. Yeah, I, I doubt that they would do that for a cruise ship. Okay. But there's a lot of unanswered questions here. Uh, we, we know that. Okay. So you got six, a cruise ship holding 6,000 passengers, you know, is, is not allowed to dock near Italy because there is a suspected case there or two that. on board. Okay. Uh, we know that the World Health Organization. Who? is going to be holding an emergency meeting of the coronavirus today to consider whether or not to declare a public health emergency. Now, they declined to issue this emergency last week. Got it. At that time, there were roughly 600 cases reported in China and 17 deaths. We are now, fast forward a week later, 6,000 people and 132 deaths, as well as thousands of suspected cases. So what they're saying is because there's been this person-to-person transmission... 
in in countries other than China, it could signal a further global spread. Obviously, right? Um, you and I both said that, you know, and, and rightfully so, have made the point that the regular flu, the influenza, the flu flu, kills an average of 50,000 people a year in the United States. In the United States. Uh, yeah. We have zero coronavirus deaths, but we're having this reaction, which, which this is, I agree with you. The reaction to the coronavirus does not seem to be in line with the threat, which, which, so it's either we've all freaked out for no good reason, like we think killer bees are coming to get us, or is there something we don't know? Because Russia closed its border with China. By the way, that's a big border. What does Russia know that we don't know? Well, Russia doesn't have any cases right now. and They want to keep it that way. So they close their border with China. They're, they're, OK, so there are a couple of things because, yeah, I, I have that perspective of. If, if you're so freaked out about the coronavirus, why aren't you so freaked out about the, the flu? Mm-hmm. And and the spread. And, of that. And, I, and I don't want to be flippant about that. I, I genuinely mean that. You know, we've got some 6,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus across the globe right now. I believe we have 12,000 confirmed cases of the flu in in Arizona. Just here. Okay. So, I mean, again, perspective. We've had, what's the number right now? Um, 130 or so people who've died from coronavirus globally right now. Um, And in 2017, 60,000 people died of the flu in the United States. So I'm looking for perspective here. Now, I'm not trying to make a broad jump or a flippant comment about that. I realize that there are two important questions that we have yet to answer because this outbreak is so new. One question is the rate of infection. If you have one infected person, Uh how many people can they infect? Okay, the, the ripple effect. And there are a lot of different models and mechanisms out there that you've got really smart people trying to determine right now. But the World Health Organization has has put it between one infected person can infect one and a half to two and a half people. Don't ask me about the half person, but just go along with it. Perspective for perspective for that is that means it's less contagious. That's what they're trying to figure out is how contagious is this? It's less contagious than SARS. Okay, more contagious than the flu. All right. Somewhere in the middle. Okay. Now, you're also trying to find out the fatality rate, because what a lot of people are doing right now is they're taking the number of confirmed cases Mm -hmm. and they're dividing that by the number of deaths. And you're getting that this has about a two percent fatality rate, which is pretty big. Okay, and and so they're 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 afraid of that. But what I would offer you is this. A lot of times during the initial outbreak, a lot of people who are infected don't go to the hospital. Why? Because they have mild symptoms. The they people don't think that, it's serious. The people that go to the hospital are the ones who are truly, really sick. Right. They're the ones that are seeking treatment. So there are probably a lot more people who have gotten this virus right. that are not being factored into and, you know, they're not part of the the confirmed cases being divided against the deaths. Do you see where I'm going? Yes. So the death rate is probably a lot lower. And, and I think that those are perspectives that are worth hearing 
as you see some of the crazy lengths that folks are going to because there is genuine fear. And I get the fear of the unknown. It absolutely is fear of the unknown. And when you hear Russia shutting down their border, when you hear about uh, airlines that are shutting down flights to China, when you hear about quarantining Americans coming back from China, it scares you. A cruise ship that can't go into port. It it most definitely is scary. But I think that perspective is important. And that's that perspective right now. I've been watching too much of that. The movies about this, I think. So, you ever had a baby at daycare? Yes. Yes. Yeah, right? Is it common practice to take a Sharpie and write on the baby? What? Is that common? What? So that's a no. Hard no. Okay, well, I'll tell you about that. Make good choices. Coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Pamela, I'm going to need a ruling on this. Okay. I, I just ran down the hall to the beautiful KTAR commissary. You're familiar with it. It's where the coffee flows like wine. Yeah, I call it the uh, lunchroom. But that go ahead. too. Okay. The, the snack guy is here replacing oh. the snack machine. Okay. Is it or is it not snack law? That if I catch him in the act of restocking the machine, I get one free item. No. Okay. I That's a Bruce rule. I couldn't convince him of that either, <laughs> by the way. I thank my him for replacing. No. But uh, no, can't get Pamela on my side. Okay, so another then. I have another question for you. Okay. Is it ever okay to pull out a Sharpie pen and write on a baby, hold on, that's not yours? No. <laughs> No. Hard no. Never. Okay. I can't imagine any instance yeah. where that would be legit other than maybe an operation to make sure you're operating on the right body part. Oh, you know what? That is interesting. Okay, when, other I had than my, that, when I had my surgery, they, yes. you had to like sign on your- Other than that, no. Other than no. that, no. Okay. So we and I was not you, a baby at the time. Usually it starts with a Florida man, but this time we're starting with like a Florida mom. Copy that. Yeah, but she did nothing wrong in this case. And man, do I feel for her. So she's a single mom of two. Okay. Got it. And she's working. It's a hard place to be in. She's got two young kids, an 18-month-old and a -a three-and-a-half-year-old. This woman's got her hands full. And kids go to daycare so she can work. The other day, she comes home from work. She goes to change her 18-month-old son. Got it. Lifts up his shirt. His Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle shirt. And there is a message written across his stomach in black ink. I was going to say, in Sharpie, it says, Mom. I'm out of diapers. Please read my report. It and it starts. It starts right, right below on the cage. Yeah, and it goes all the way down to his waist. It's let, let me it's read this the again. entire front of the Somebody baby. Somebody thought. Yeah. It was a good idea to take a sharpie to a year and a half child, and write, "Mom, I'm out of diapers. Please read my report." I'm gonna tell you right now. Uh oh. That ever happens to my child, I am lighting someone up. I am losing my ever-loving mind. This poor woman says this was not the first time. Oh, really? And because it was the second time, she, like a lot of people do, go to Facebook to find out if this is okay. It's okay. She... Is, is is like so concerned and is like, uh, you know, um, I'm not sure if I'm overreacting to this. Honey, you're not overreacting. The fact that it's happened not once but twice is disgusting to me. It is hard. At, God. Well, I was going to say, I, I'm assuming that normally and, and what this mom says is if there is any issues or report, 
They'll give you like a piece of paper it's or not email just any, or something, any, right? any issue. So Riley has been was in daycare because okay. walk me through the daycare since world. Since she was like that six months know. old, every day you get a report. You get when a report. you have an infant yeah, yeah, yeah. at a, a, a care facility, which you are paying an arm and a leg for. Let mm-hmm, me tell you mm-hmm. right now, you're going to get a report. Give me a Your give me an example report you, on Riley. They're going to. When she went to the bathroom, Riley went. Num- what they found in the diaper? Oh God! How often? But, but I mean, like these are important things. I'm going to tell save you. Save these by any chance? No, I did not save these. <laughs> okay. Um, what they ate? How much they, how ate, much they ate? When they slept? Oh wow! If there were any issues, and then there's always kind of like a memory of the day. Right? Yeah. About what they did? Oh, and they was super good at coloring every single okay. day. Okay. Now this mother. Yeah. You know, you, you get them every day too. Okay. And she's two kids. She's a single mom who's working. Got it. You may miss a report. It happens. All right. And she missed one day. And this is how they respond. Let me tell you, when you go to any daycare facility, it sometimes you feel like you're going into a prison because there are so many locks and so many checks and balance to make sure that only the parents and people who are authorized to be in there are allowed to be in there. It's interesting. So, I used to go pick up my, my goddaughters from daycare. I had to like be buzzed through a couple doors. So by being buzzed through a couple of doors, Bruce, you are running into several different people. Yes. You actually have to go into the classroom to pick up your child. Yes. If she missed one report, your next call of action would be, hey, Pamela, we sent you a report yesterday. You, you probably report? missed it. Yeah. Riley needs some diapers. FYI. And I don't expect the daycare just to provide free diapers. Diapers are expensive. Got it. You want to charge me for the diapers that you had to use out of your own stash that okay. day because I failed to bring them in? Go that for you'd it. you'd understand. Go for it. Writing on my child? Yeah. No. That's a no. Being a single mother, being a mother anyway, of like two young children, even one young child, is hard enough. To lift up the shirt and to see that and then have to scrub it off of your child well, is ridiculous. Can I just point out, and I only remember this from my time. I'm in my fraternity, Phi Delta Theta, University of Arizona. When people would pass out, we would take a Sharpie pen to their face. Yeah. It it doesn't come off easily. So, you know what I would like to do? Um, you write on my child. Uh-oh. I'm going to go back. If you, if, I, if you forget to send me a report, because sometimes that happens too. Like, the, the teachers forget to do that. Okay. Can I go in and write on your face? No. Please don't forget to send the report next time. No. We have the picture up uh, at the uh, uh, Bruce and Kings family. He's uh, a Twitter feed at Bruce and Pamela. Fired up you can over see that the picture one. of the 18 month old baby with the note written on its chest and belly. And, and it also hurts my heart that this woman didn't know if this was appropriate it's like, or not. It's disrespectful, right. like at the highest level. Our Arizona senators got to ask some questions in the impeachment trial yesterday. So who asked the better question, McSally or Cinema? We'll play them for you. That's coming up next on Arizona's News Station.